the Adventist Healthcare and You podcast. I'm Shanna. And I'm Nimit. We are back with our next episode and we are really happy to welcome back Dr. Marissa Leslie. Welcome back, Dr. Leslie. Thank you. She's one of our return guests. We just really wanted to keep delving into the topic of mental health. So we are happy to have you back. As a reminder, Dr. Leslie is the System Medical Director for Psychiatry here at Adventist Healthcare. And your specialty is adolescent mental health, correct? Yes, child and adolescent mental health. Okay, so with so much going on in the news these days about kids and their mental health, the increasing rates that we're seeing, we really wanted to have you back and talk to us a little bit about how we can understand this better and some tips to help our families. Well, I I think one way to understand what's being called an epidemic of and an adolescent mental health crisis is, well, one, I think the normalization of mental health Mm -hmm. and having more honest conversations around it, but also the increased isolation that the pandemic brought on with virtual schooling and people not socializing as much and teens being drawn to social media more as a way to connect, that has created its own set of problems. With teens being on social media more, they're looking at pictures, especially on Instagram, comparing themselves to other people. And whereas before, in previous generations, you could go home and stop comparing yourself to the most popular cheerleader at school or the the you know star football player. But with social media, it's always in your face. And you're always wondering, do I measure up? Mm-hmm. Am I cool enough? Did people like my post? So that... Um, Normal self-evaluation that teens go through is just being amplified and not in a healthy way. Yeah, I guess it. before social media, people were like, you know, getting compliments and, and that was their validation or self-confidence, I guess. Now, I know with social media, I, think I was reading an article that says, you know, the number of likes kind of um, measured how happy they were. And if they didn't get enough likes on, you know, certain social medias, that means that they were and they may be more depressed or the dopamine receptors were like more active when, when they were getting more likes or they were seeing that they were getting more likes on social media. Mm-hmm. True, true. And I think another thing that's that happens when teens engage on social media too much is they're not doing things that are super healthy, mm-hmm. like yeah. running, being outside, reading, socializing without technology. I think that's the other important key to remember. I'm not trying to villainize social media, Mm -hmm. but I am saying that there's a lack of other things that are truly important for healthy, emotional, physical, spiritual health. I think it's similar to like physical health, right? Where yes, there's ice creams and there's chocolates that you're, you could have, you can indulge every now and then and, and, you know, no harm done. Similar to social media, you could indulge every now and then, but when, when people are doing it for hours or are investing in it and can't like stay without it. I mean, I know many people um, who, you know, can be without their phones right there and, and are looking at every notification they're getting and are expecting that too. And I think that's just amplified with the adolescent population now. I was it gonna, is. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It's it's all about balance, right? In our physical, balance. Yeah, in our right. physical health, we have to work towards balancing what we eat and exercise and, and self-care and all of that. And it's the same with social media and the things we enjoy. It's, it's about balance. It's about balance for most And I think for some, they should actually stay completely away from it because it's designed to keep you hooked and to keep you scrolling. And it just gives you more of what you're interested in Mm -hmm. because of algorithms. Yeah. So how has legislation helped with keeping social media in control for for teenagers? 
It's really fascinating. I'm still trying to keep up with the various laws that are being passed or proposed in different states. There are laws that want to provide more control for parents or caregivers to oversee what they're consuming, kind of like a driver's license. Some states are saying you need to be a certain age if you want to have a social media account, and others are saying you need to have parental permission to have a social media account. I, I guess, can think, I think of people, California as one of the yeah, states. Yeah, I think people can monitor that. how long you're on social media as well, like if you're on for like 15 minutes or things like that as well. There are apps in different settings mm-hmm. on on devices that allow parents or uh, caregivers to to monitor that, to monitor screen time, to just shut it down after a certain time, to shut off the internet after a certain time. And honestly, I really promote those apps and mechanisms because then it decreases the tension. If you're going to ask your youth who's scrolling on a device and using an app that's designed to keep you scrolling to stop, that's super tough. Mm-hmm. But if the if the device just shuts off automatically and the youth knows that, they'll be disappointed. They may not be the happiest camper, but at least you're not having constant tension and arguments over it. And it creates some structure. It too, does. You know, yes. Which, at least in my house, structure helps. <laughs> it does. And honestly, I think one of the most effective tools to limit social media use is to fill the time with something else. Mm-hmm. Have family dinners. Go out, have a picnic. Some of the old school stuff is really, really healthy and, and youth really want it. They may not say it. You know, they definitely they still want their phone with them. It's kind of like a comfort blanket and they want to keep in touch with their friends outside of school hours. But if they're doing something else, if they're involved in, ath- in an athletic activity or after school activities, one, it's protective Uh, against a host of things, against teen pregnancy, against delinquency. But um, two, it's you're just filling the time. You're not saying absolutely not, but you're saying we're doing this instead. This is a part of our family routine. Mm -hmm. I think being intentional about it is, is, you know, highly crucial as well. I've been to so many dinners where my cousins who are younger, you know, they're just on their phones the entire dinner or they're not – you know, talking, but they're they're there and they're there because you know they're not have, interacting. They're not interacting and they're not engaged. But you know, they're there because we had a family get together and we um, asked them to spend some time with us. But it was, uh, I think, just having that structure. I think what Shanna you were saying to help you know guys, and you know, what, let's leave our phones on the other table and then just have a normal conversation. And it's, it's uncomfortable now because it's an expectation, right? People are just on their phones. If you look at every table around the restaurant, like people are just doing that constantly. Are you calling me out, Nimit? My phone's here on the table. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I should just really be quiet and just turn yeah. it around. <laughs> so well, Nimit, I think that's a really good point. If, if we're going to ask people to put their phones away, engage them in the conversation. And yeah. I think that tends to happen with teenagers. We tell them to do something, but we don't tell them what they should do instead. Mm-hmm. Or we don't invite them to be a part of the conversation. We just assume they have nothing to contribute and they have so much to contribute. So instead of just having your teenager and telling them, put the phone away, but then I'm going to have this adult conversation over here and not include you, make it an inclusive conversation. Those are things I've found in my personal life to really engage youth. And and honestly, we have such interesting youth 
nowadays. They have a lot I'm to sure say. We did before. They yeah. have a lot to say, and and they're smart, and they they want to share. Help you think differently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I've been reading a lot of parenting books because I just had a, <laughs> a newborn, like six months old now. Congrats. But thank you. But one of the things that uh, in the books I was reading was saying that you know don't tell them not to do something. Tell them what they should do instead. Mm-hmm. So exactly. you know, saying do not touch that. Well, what am I supposed to do with my hands then? Well, you could hold this instead. So, like, you know, I think it's similar as they grow older as well. Saying, you know, do not be on your phone. Well, what am I supposed to do? Right. Yeah. And <laughs> as with newborns, teenagers too, they want that time and that attachment. Yeah. They may show it in different ways. <laughs> and sometimes that way is go away, but they actually really want connection. And so, if you're saying, uh, do more of this, do it with them. Yeah. I think, uh, I think one thing that's been lost is Thursday, family night, TV night. We Mm. used to watch shows together. So TV in in and of itself isn't bad. Social media in and of itself isn't necessarily bad. I think the key is to try to do activities together. Yeah. Have a shared interest. Yeah, I like that. So I read a recent article and it mentioned the alarming increase in ER visits for teens that are in uh, struggling with mental health. Um, and so we talked about why maybe some of that is we're, we're, we're seeing the signs better. We're talking about it more. What is the right place for parents to help their kids that are struggling? And what are some of the signs we can look for? What are some tools that are out there? Great question, Shanna. And it is really difficult to navigate. So let me start with, I'm sorry for how difficult it is to navigate the mental health space. It is a work in progress. One place to start, which people may not be aware of, is the number 988. So we have 911 seared into our brains for an emergency. 988 is the mental health emergency phone number. And it's not just the number you call if you want an ambulance to come to your house. It is actually, they have counselors, people who can talk to your teen. It's the replacement for the suicide prevention lifeline, but okay. it, it goes beyond suicide. Yeah, um, And it could, it could be a good start. There are also online resources to find a therapist. Mm-hmm. One I use constantly as a clinician is psychologytoday.com to find a therapist by insurance, by state, by, by issue. Because that's hard in, in and of itself to navigate. Hard, super yeah. hard. You can also call your health insurance company or if you're employed, employee assistance programs can be quite helpful. Uh, sometimes word of mouth too, but that tends to be harder because just because your friend or loved one may have used a therapist or a doctor they trust, I'm almost willing to bet that by the time you get to them, they're full and they're not accepting new patients or clients. But there are a multitude of resources out there. The thing I want to really emphasize is please don't give up. It may be frustrating. Go into it knowing that it's going to take some time to find the right resources. Okay. So we obviously, we don't, we don't want a mental health crisis to get to that point. We don't, you know, the, the ER is there and they, they can help, but what are some signs to look out before it gets there? What can we as parents do to help our kids? Well, I would say step one, really pay attention to your kids, mm-hmm. get to know them. And especially in the teen years, like I said before, they may be telling you, go away, leave me alone. <laughs> Don't look at me. Don't go away and definitely look at them, understand who they are, what their patterns are, look for changes. If you notice that they're isolating even more or they are giving up things they enjoyed before, um, just talk to them about it. And yes, if they they won't talk to you, there's someone they'll talk to. Find that trusted adult 
or or even older teenager they can talk to um, and have confidence in. And it's okay if it's not you as the parent. It's okay right? if it's not you. It, it's not. <laughs> it's not a sign that you're failing as a parent. That's actually very normal for teenagers not to feel like they can share with their parents because after all. Good parents and caregivers set limits and may say, uh, yeah. <laughs> you can't stay out as late. And it's okay as the parent to ask for that help. It too. is. It if, is. If they're not opening up to you. Right. If they open up to someone else, that's great. Mm-hmm. But I find that most teenagers actually want to open up to their parents. Okay. Sometimes they don't open up because they think you'll limit their privileges or they think you don't understand or you've never been through this. So if you can share, oh, I had a therapist at this period or I'm getting a therapist, just to go through some stress, you know, to talk about some stress I'm experiencing, then your teen is more likely to, one, be comfortable with finding a therapist and talking to one, but two, to open up to you because now you're being vulnerable and you're showing that you're not super mom, super dad, super grandma. You are also in need of support. So, you know, there's there's obviously a stigma against talking about, you know, mental health. We're obviously getting better as a society over the past decade or a few decades and we've come long ways, but we also have long ways to go. Families may not typically have this conversation at a dinner table or, you know, as, as much as they should. Um, what are some of the pointers you recommend for families to have these conversations, parents to have these conversations with their children? Like how do they approach that? Because, you know, I, I have certain families, they, they don't talk about feelings. Like we don't talk about feelings in this household, right? But like how do, what are some of the pointers for parents to start doing this and sustain it? Well, I would actually say practice first yeah. because uh, a lot of the language we use as a society to describe mental health has really been stigmatizing words like crazy or sometimes honestly even help even though it is help Mm -hmm. do need help but when you're vulnerable or questioning American society really promotes independence and I can do it and I think just starting with it's okay to not be okay honestly and there's a strength in that I always always feel like that too yes being vulnerable is is okay and one that's really hard for most parents, I would even say this parent talking to you, is when youth have an outburst and then we automatically want to say you're not being respectful, tone it down. Sometimes you can just say, hey, this is a bad moment. Take a minute. Yeah, I'm here to listen to you. It's clear. Maybe you can just describe what you're seeing. It's clear you're upset right now. It's okay to be upset. I want you to be safe. When you feel ready, let's talk about what's at the root of you being mad. Yeah, And that is revolutionary because most parents just want appropriate behavior. But truly what you said, Nimit, being families, you don't have to be the most touchy-feely family, right. but just identifying that feelings are actually okay. We all, experience in, we all experience them. And if we don't express them, they will come out in one way or another. And we just want it to be in a safe and healthy way. Yeah. yeah. I've said that a few times when my, my son has had like an outburst or something. I was like, oh, you're having a lot of feelings right now. Let's just... <laughs> I, you're having a lot. Let's just sort through. Let's, let's take a breath and you take your break and then come back when you're feeling better and we'll talk. And then also as parents, you can identify, you get to know your children. If you know that your child really needs a snack after school or your teenager really needs to not be put out in the spotlight because they're more of an introvert, then try to manage, help, help your teen manage those situations and also give your teen a a lot more autonomy Mm. because how can they be good, healthy decision-making adults unless they start practicing as teenagers? Ask for their opinion more. Stop telling them what they're going to do, but give them options. 
that you curate, you know, that are safe options. Don't just let them run wild, but give them more options and give them more of a voice and you'll see different results. I like that. I've heard, I've seen this tip um, a couple times as I've been reading over the last few months. And it's more, in, it's more when you want to have a crucial conversation like with an adult, but I can see it working with kids and, and adolescents and teenagers too, is make sure everybody's in a good space. Like make sure everybody's not tired, well fed <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, they're in a s- space where they're not already in some sort of mood or, you know, in a deficit so that it doesn't go off the rails. That's great advice, Shannon. And it really, it starts with you as the caregiver, as the adult, your kids are watching you. So if you're running on E all the time, you're cranky, you're not taking care of yourself, you are the example. Mm -hmm. So you can't give from an empty vessel, fill your vessel first, and then be there for your teenagers who desperately still want you despite their go aways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there anything else, Nimit, that we have that we want to ask Dr. No, Dr. Lizzie, is there anything you yeah. want the listeners to go away with from this podcast? You know, I learned this in my training that we look at adolescence as a very turbulent time. I'm encouraging all of the listeners and us in this room to look at adolescence as an exciting, interesting time of growth that can, yes, can be challenging to overcome, but not impossible. And so if your teenager is really, really struggling with drugs or with cutting themselves, that part is not healthy. You can get support for that. Uh, But there are other parts that may be challenging, but really once you kind of peel away can be really interesting um, and and listen to them more. Adolescence does not have to be turbulent. Okay. I I like that. A lot of it comes out from like time and patience. Like, you know, just as you said, peeling the onion, like, you know, a little bit more each day, each week, you know, just taking Mm -hmm. another layer and layer and and just being patient about that too. Mm -hmm. And I I like the advice too of, of listen to them. They have a lot to say. We just have to be open to hearing it and, and learning from it. And just like when, when we meet new people and we get to know new people, you know, they're growing and changing so fast that they're, they're changing too. And you kind of have to keep getting to know them. Yeah. Be curious without judgment. Yeah. Yeah, And really for a full minute or more, just don't say anything. Just listen. Okay. I like that. Well, thank you, Dr. Leslie. We hope you'll come back again because we uh, we had our 25th uh, episode anniversary a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And both Nimmin and I said we want to talk more about mental health. Yeah. We know that that's a topic our listeners want to hear about. As you mentioned earlier, it is hard to navigate. So we, we want to talk more about it. So we hope you'll come back. Always happy to. Thank you. Well, thank you to our listeners. If you want to learn more about Adventist Healthcare, visit AdventistHealthcare.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you get all of our new episodes. Thank you and be well. Thank you.